0: what goes on viewers. My name is Michael Kirsting. That is Michael with a Y. I'm very excited to be with you from the University of Maryland in College Park, Maryland, because I come to you with the first episode of The Pitch. I'm very glad you have tuned in to listen to my new podcast. Let me run down how this thing will go every time. And we'll start off with some relevant news in the baseball world. We will switch the play across the pitch into the soccer world, highlight some soccer, and then switch back into the middle for some hot takes in sports, usually coming outside of baseball and soccer. Again, my name is Michael with a Y. My name is spelled M-Y-C-H-A-L. It is not your typical spelling of Michael. That just makes me a little more memorable, doesn't it? So in today's episode of The Pitch, In the baseball section, we will run down the MLB Awards, Rookie of the Year's, Manager of the Year's, and MVPs, as well as some free agency. The hot stove is cooking up nice, getting to the the upper registers on the stove. We will switch the play, talk about the international break in soccer, as well as the state of the English Premier League. And at the back end of the episode, we will give some hot takes coming from the NFL. Hope you enjoy it. Episode number one of The Pitch starts now. Let's play ball on the baseball section of The Pitch. As I mentioned, we will highlight the Rookie of the Year's Managers of the Year, as well as the MVPs, and we will get to some free agency as well. So let's dive right in to the Rookie of the Year Award in the American League and the National League. We will start off with the American League. Mariners center fielder and designated hitter Kyle Lewis won the award. His slash line, a slash line consists of a player's batting average, on base percentage, and slugging percentage. So Kyle Lewis averaged a 268 batting average. He was on base 2.93% of the time and slugged 592. His on base plus slugging was also 8. 85 an mvp caliber um ops is one above one so a, a for a rookie to be hitting close to a 900 ops in his rookie season is pretty impressive so among rookies he led them in home runs as well as games played kyle lewis played 58 games for the mariners this year and he was second in hits among rookies and he is the first seattle mariner to do it since of course the great ichiro suzuki in 2001, he finished also as MVP that year, one of, the, one of the greatest single individual seasons in history. So Kyle Lewis is in some very good company with his MVP, excuse me, with his Rookie of the Year Award. Switching over to the National League, Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers has won the NL MVP award. He is a bullpen arm for the Milwaukee Brewers. He appeared in 22 games for the Brew Crew, yielding only a 0.33 ERA. It's a very low ERA. He allowed only eight hits, nine walks, and one earned run. He allowed four runs in total, but only one of those were earned. It was actually a solo home run to Colin Moran of the Pirates in late July. All of those stats coming in 27 innings pitched. He only let up 18 base runners in total. And he has been a little, perhaps a little overshadowed by the um, star man of the Brewers bullpen, Josh Hader, the southpaw, lanky throwing Josh Hader. But he's actually, since becoming since coming into the league, did Devin Williams this year. He's really made a name for himself very, very quietly. So earning Rookie of the Year award has given him some much deserved props, and um, hopefully he can continue his success going forward, two very well-deserved awards from Devin Williams in the National League and Kyle Lewis in the American League. Those are your Rookies of the Year. Now, what about the Managers of the Year? We will go with the American League National, the, excuse me, the American League Manager of the Year. And that is to Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays. Now I am initially, I am originally from New York, just outside the New York metropolitan area. So you may see just a little bit of bias sneaking through towards my beloved New York Yankees. And as much of a bitter pill as it is to swallow, I really do think that Kevin Cash thoroughly deserved this Manager of the Year award. He took the Rays to their only their second World Series appearance, their first since 2008. His team were fifth in run differential across the league. And in terms of pitching, They were third in team ERA collectively and fourth in runs allowed. They allowed the fourth least runs in the entire league um, on their way to garnering the best record in the American league. Of course, they fell short to the Dodgers in six games in the world series, but Kevin Cash has done a stellar job leading this team back from what they used to be before manager Joe Madden left. They are now back, and and competing with the big boys like the Yankees in the AL East. Over to the National League. Speaking of my beloved Yankees, we will know this name very well. And that is Don Mattingly. He has won the Manager of the Year Award in the National League managing the Miami Marlins. He brought this team who lost 105 games in 2019 all the way back to a 31 and 29 finish and in this shortened 60 game season. A pretty, pretty outstanding feat for a team that had been so down, down low in 2019 to finish, even in a shortened season, to a winning record in 2020. He has young Sixto Sanchez to lead him on the mound, as well as Lewis Brinson in the outfield to spearhead his young core. Those are your managers of the year, and now for your MVPs, the American League MVP. Is Jose Abreu, first baseman for the Chicago White Sox. And as I said, being a New York fan, I feel pretty wrong done that, that Yankee second baseman and utility man DJ LeMahieu did not win this award. But of course, Abreu did have a very solid season. He slashed 317 batting average, 370 OBP on base percentage. His 617 slugging percentage led the I believe the majors, not just the American League, as well as his 987 OPS on base plus slugging. He hit 19 home runs and 60 RBIs. His 60 RBIs led the league for the second year in a row, and he also led the league in total bases this year. Now, this is a guy who is only the third Cuban to win the MVP award and being at first base for a newly revamped Chicago White Sox side after such... After seeing the lows of this Chicago White Sox team, they have been at the lower end of the AL Central for quite some time now. But with the acquisitions of Tim Anderson at shortstop, as well as Dallas Keuchel on the mound, this is a team that is definitely taking strides in the right direction. And seeing that they have now an MVP at first base makes them a whole lot scarier. And over to the national league for the first time in his 11 seasons it is mv free another first baseman freddie freeman has won of the atlanta braves of course has won the nl mvp award he is the first atlanta brave to win the mvp award since the beloved chipper jones back in the late 90s freddie freeman has slashed 351 of average he was on base his on-base percentage was 462, very good on-base percentage. He slugged 640, and his OPS was 1.102. And believe it or not, all four of those categories, he came in second two to only Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals, which, ironically, he was not even in the top three for MVP voting. However, Freddie Freeman did lead in some categories he led, in, um, He led in runs scored, he led the league, as well as extra base hits. So Freddie Freeman becomes the first Atlanta Brave to win, of course, like I said, since Chipper Jones, and it is the first time in his 11 years that he has won MVP, thoroughly deserved, one of the most respected figures throughout the game, probably, undoubtedly, I would say the best first baseman in the game due to his consistency as well as his um, durability in this Atlanta Braves side, who are who are quite a force going forward, of course, with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies maturing quickly, quickly, quickly. So those are your MLB awards. And now I feel a bit of a tingling in my left hand. So I feel the hot stove coming up. We jump into the free agency market. There are quite a few big names out there in the MLB world. Perhaps the biggest being NL Cy Young winner Trevor Bauer. He was the first Reds pitcher to win the award, and he goes onto the market asking for at least 150 million dollars over about four or five years. Of course, Bauer is very is very well known on social media for his um, for some rather suggestive um, clothing that he has worn to games. He wore a rather suggestive pair of cleats, and he is making very he's making a very bright light of this free agency period for himself. The Yankees and the Mets are reportedly interested and it is good to hear that the Yankees are reportedly interested. Of course, it was their pitching that let them down this past playoffs and um despite some some indifference with with their with the Yankees star pitcher Garrett Cole in the past, Trevor Bauer is has said that he is more than open to teaming up with Garrett Cole, as he has said that they have put their differences from 10 years behind them. But I think in my opinion, as a Yankee fan, that Trevor Bauer should be second in line to DJ LeMayhew. DJ LeMayhew has been arguably the breakout player in the MLB since joining the Yankees from the Rockies two years ago. He won a batting title in Colorado hitting almost 350, and he has just won this season's batting title. He is the first player to win a batting title in both leagues, and and DJ LeMahieu finished third in MVP voting this year. He is the first Yankee since NL Manager of the Year, Don Mattingly, to finish top four in MVP voting in back-to-back seasons. Don Mattingly did that in 1985 and 86. So DJ hit 327 in 2019 as well as 389 with runners in scoring position both led both were league leaders he hit 364 this year as well as the 389 was his runners on scoring position average this year beg your pardon he turned down the Yankees qualifying offer of 18.9 million dollars as he seeks a, a bit more money per year over about three to four years. He has been the Yankees cornerstone offensively over the past two seasons. He has far and away been their their average hitting leader. He hit 327 last year and of course a an AL best 364 this year. He is, as I said, hits very well with runners in scoring position. Therefore, he's a very high leverage player who performs well in high leverage situations. If the Yankees, in my opinion, if the Yankees can pay $36 million for an ace of a starting pitcher in Garrett Cole, I think they can shell out $30 million a year for a guy who evens out a rather power-oriented lineup with the likes of Aaron Judge, with the likes of Giancarlo Stanton. Getting on base for those guys is DJ LeMayhew's responsibility. He could not be doing a better job of it. So I think DJ is priority number 1 for the Yankees this offseason. But but LeMayhue's market will not be determined until Gary Sanchez's market is determined. He is actually not a free agent, but it is reported by the New York Post that he that the Yankees will listen to offers for him. The Yankees are not willing to give him away at a very cheap price, so they of course want to see what it takes to keep DJ LeMayhue and at the same time what they can get For Gary Sanchez, of course, he is Gary Sanchez has been under fire in the Bronx for subpar offense and even more so subpar defense. And the next guy who is now back to the free agent market is shortstop Andrelton Simmons. He is a rather underrated name. He has spent the last five seasons with the Los Angeles Angels, a steady 270 to 290 hitter. He is more known for his plus defense at shortstop, something that the Yankees were not impressed with with Glaber Torres this past season. Glaber Torres should be, I, in my opinion, should be at the center of the Yankees organization. but he did not seem fit to be playing shortstop this past season, had a nine thirty three fielding percentage, which was way lower than his not than his fielding percentage at second base. In 2019, which was in the high 980s, he led he led Yankees Yankees fielders with nine errors in this shortened 2020 season. So Andrelton Simmons would probably slot in at shortstop, moving Glaber Torres over to first, which is why DJ LeMahieu in staying in the Bronx is in jeopardy. Of course, DJ is a is a Swiss Army knife in defense. He can play second, third. Of course, now occupied by Gio Urshela and first base which is occupied by Luke Voigt. he can be however moved over to designated hitter or he could be sold for a high amount I don't think the Yankees should sell Luke Voigt because he because his presence in the team is massive he is um, a guy who brings a lot of energy to the team but keeping DJ LeMahieu he is a plus defender and an even more so a plus hitter which is what the Yankees need but, keeping, but bringing Andrelton Simmons in to steady the ship defensively is a good idea, but it's just also integrating him, Glaber Torres, and DJ LeMahieu in the same lineup. If the Yankees can do that, they may be well on their way to winning a World Series this coming season. So that is your hot stove update. That is your baseball update. Now let's switch the play. Let's ping it from left to right and dive in to soccer. All right, play has been switched, so let's get into some soccer. League play is a little bit out right now as players have transitioned into their national sides, into the international break. Of course, the United States and Wales played out a nil-nil draw in North Wales yesterday. Gareth Bale did not start for the Welsh national team. There were, however, six debutants for the United States, Conrad De La Fuente, Yunus Musa and Gio Reyna all started making their national team debuts, and Nicholas Gioacchini, Owen Orosawey, and Johnny Cardoso all subbed on. Six new players, all young as well, and it was also the um, former Maryland Terrapin Zach Steffen who captained this United States side in goal. This is Greg, in my opinion, this is Greg Burhalter's probably best national team decision so far. It did also have to do with the fact that there were not as many major league soccer players in this was because Burhalter, the national team manager, did not want to interfere with the MLS playoffs that start at the end of next week. Once players get back from international break, there was one player who is on an MLS roster. That was Sebastian Legette who was a last-minute replacement for Josh Sargent. So it was a very good um, selection from Greg Berhalter, also a very good performance from the team despite the 0-0 draw. This, the team played out a, a very good defensive showing in the midfield. Zach Steffen did not have many um, issues to deal with in goal. The defense made sure to limit the amount of shots, and Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams in the midfield both were a presence on the on the offensive as well as the defensive side of the ball. So overall, even though there were no goals scored and the offense did look a little bit slow from the United States, it was overall a pretty good showing. Let's go around the grounds and around Europe for a few more results. It was 7-0 Portugal over lowly Andorra as Renato Sanchez, young Renato Sanchez of Lille scored one. Cristiano Ronaldo had to score one, didn't he? And young inform Zhao Felix scored as well. The Atletico Madrid man who cost $140 million, excuse me, not dollars, but euros from Portuguese club Benfica is finally starting to find his feet after a slow start to life in the Spanish capital. Chelsea Loney Michi Batshuayi scored a brace in Belgium's victory and a stunner at the Stade de France as Marcus Force and Oni Valakari, who made their first caps for the Finland national team, took down France in their own patch 2-0. A very, a very interesting result that comes from the Stade de France. And that was, of course, international friendlies. As for European championship qualifying, Scotland has made it through beating Serbia after James McLean slotted home the fifth and final penalty for the scottish of course captain by liverpool left back andy robertson it's been a very it's been a very long and hard journey for him but it is great to see that he is still healthy and that he has captained this side leading them all the way to euro 2021 they are actually in the same group as the english national team so it'll be it'll be nice to watch them square off as well so that is your international wrap up. And now back to the domestic leagues. Of course, you will not be able to see behind me. I have a Chelsea Fla- Chelsea FC flag on my wall behind me. So in the Premier League, I will highlight them first. It is a team that are coming together in terms of new signings. Of course, Chelsea were able to spend lots after the transfer ban that was handed to them last summer. So they have they had a lot more money than most clubs, of course, due to the pandemic. Most teams lost a lot of revenue, but since there was not um, a pound spent by, by Chelsea in summer 2019, they were able to spend mucho this year. So Ben Chilwell, Kai Haberts, uh, Timo Werner, and Hakeem Ziyech all all is, uh, contributing on each side of the ball, but perhaps the most, um, perhaps the the biggest signing, the most necessary signing, being Edouard Mendy. He has really stepped up to the plate for the Blues so far this year. In his, um, in his nine games started across all competitions, he has kept six clean sheets. And in the league, he has only conceded one goal in all. And that was, of course, their last match against Sheffield that ended 4-1. to one. So outside of West London, at the, near the top of the table, at least are a surprising Southampton side that actually came back from three, one down against those Chelsea blues to finish three, three. They sit one point off the top as they are uh, usually a, usually a pretty mid table side, but they are sitting up very high and close to the top tops. This is also without top scorer, Danny Ings, who seems to be out for a significant period of time. Nice to see another team getting in on the action. Of course, Everton and Liverpool, and excuse, excuse me, not Liverpool, Everton and Aston Villa were the two talks of England after starting off scorching hot. Everton have somewhat cooled down. Excuse me. They're on a three-game skid right now. They have lost their last three heading into the international break. And Aston Villa were on a two-game skid of their own before taking their final match of before the international break. So they stopped off on a good note. Everton and Aston Villa still very much in the title race. Of course, their top scorers, Dominic calvert Lumen, who actually scored against, against Ireland in the midweek, against Ireland for the English national team, and Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa both stayed hot through the club play period. Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur are also close to the top. They are tied with Southampton for second place. That is all in thanks to their top scorers, Harry Kane and Hinmin San. You usually see Harry Kane, one of if not the most clinical strikers in the world at the top of the goal scoring list, but he is actually at the top of the assisting list. And there were in the game actually against Southampton, it was San who scored four goals all four being assisted by Harry Kane, as as Kane and Son have have combined to score 15 of Spurs' 19 goals on the season so far, and of the 15 goal assists that Spurs have contributed, 10 of them have come from Kane and Son. So we have a really, um, di- really scary dynamic duo breaking out in North London. They are not my favorite team, Tottenham Hotspur. And I frankly am very scared to face them as Harry Kane has been a thorn in Chelsea's side over the past few seasons. Of course, we have not yet highlighted top of the table, Leicester city. They only, they have quite a few teams breathing down their neck as first and 11th are separated by only six points That is not a very slender. That is a very slender gap. Of course, uh, Leicester are being led by their their scorer, perennial top scorer, Jamie Vardy, with a few new signings of their own. Timothy Castagne is currently injured, as well as their um their rock in central defense, who came over from, from Freiburg two years ago. Turkish center back, Caglar Soyuncu, is currently injured. But a new signing has stepped up young French defender, Wesley Fofana, who has been brought over from St. Etienne. He has arguably been Leicester's best player since Soyuncu going down with his injury. I've always had respect, a very big form of respect for Leicester City, especially since Chelsea helped them win the title at Stamford Bridge in 2016. But it, is, it has been um, a few years of shortcomings, you would say, for Leicester City. But under their management of Brendan Rodgers, it's really actually very nice to see them back toward the top and competing with the highest with the highest levels of teams so that is your soccer update we are going to go out and keep it hot we're going to go down and i'm going to pitch you a hot take of my own for you the listeners to debate with your friends and whoever else you would like to debate on to the pitch for the hot take next So it is about that time in this podcast of the pitch that um, things may get a little bit heated, depending on who you watch this with. It is time for me to pitch you, the listeners with a hot take. This is coming from the NFL is a football hot take here. It is, in my opinion, the only differences between the Seahawks and the Cowboys is two things is their coaching and Russell Wilson. You know that, um, that the Seahawks are leading their division at six and two, the very competitive NFC West. And perhaps the opposite can be said about the NFC East, in that it is very non-competitive. Cowboys sit two and seven, yet they are only a game and a half out of first place and clinching a playoff spot. The defenses are both very, are both very leaky in terms of their points let up. Both defenses let up about an average of 30 points per game. Cowboys slightly more than the Seahawks let up more. The Seahawks allow the most passing yards per game, as well as the most total yards per game. And the Cowboys let up the second most rushing yards per game. So the defenses are very, very leaky. And that might not be too much an issue for the Seahawks because Russell Wilson is Acting and playing like the MVP candidate he deserves to be given. And um, and if the defense lets up 30 plus, he'll just put up 40 plus with the help of his receivers Tyler Lockett and the ever the ever-present force in the Seattle's Seahawks receiving core of DK Metcalf. He's a specimen of a wide receiver, and with his help. Russell Wilson is really leading the charge for the MVP case. Whereas the Dallas Cowboys are down to their fourth quarterback. Of course, Dak Prescott had a gruesome ankle injury. Of course, he will be out for some time. Andy Dalton is on the COVID reserve list and Ben DiNucci just did not perform two weeks ago. So they are down to Garrett Gilbert, who almost took down the undefeated Steelers, but didn't do quite enough. And... It just comes down to that. Of course, Dak Prescott was playing MVP level football himself uh, before he went down. But now the Cowboys being down for the count are down at the quarterback spot, and they are even a little bit down on their luck with their coaching, because the coaching is the other thing that separates these two teams. It is Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys against Pete Carroll. We have seen what Pete Carroll has done for this team. He has transformed the Seahawks. Into a perennial contender for the Super Bowl every year, and it, it's looking like they could be leading the charge again now with Metcalf at the center of the receiving core, along with tight end veteran tight end Greg Olson. He has the locker room completely um, together. He is he has them sorted and he has them completely banded together. There is not a bit of separation, any any friction in that locker room. And Pete Carroll, he has been at the helm for now 10, 11 years, has made sure to keep the locker room completely together, something he has done very, very well. Whereas Mike McCarthy, on the other hand, you could tell that there is fracturedness in the defense, in the offense, even amongst the coaches themselves, where he is, of course, calling the plays on offense as he used to for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay but the plays just aren't coming to fruition. They go three and out a lot. They just tend to not score as well as let up a lot of points. So you could tell that there is a disconnect between the Cowboys coaching and players. And even though the defenses look pretty much the same, I think that the, the main difference is the MVP caliber play of Russell Wilson and the fact, and the fact that the coaching is just really letting the Cowboys down. If those two things were at level playing fields, Either the Cowboys, if they had their own MVP candidate back in Dak Prescott, as well as a better coach than Mike McCarthy, I think that the Cowboys would be far and away the leaders of this division of the NFC East. And likewise, and vice versa, if the Cow- if the Seahawks had a worse coach and they were in a little bit less fortunate of a position with their quarterback not being Russell Wilson, they could be at the bottom of the very competitive NFC West. So that is a hot take, and that is a wrap for today's episode of The Pitch. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We will detail baseball, soccer, and hot takes again next week. Until then, my name is Michael Kirsting. That is Michael with a Y, signing off for now. Thank you so much for viewing again.